to another episode of the 10 Frame Podcast for Emerging Artists. My name is Kelly Thompson, and you can find me at kellythompsonart.com or on Instagram at kellyktompsonart. I'm Kevin Kirkwood, and you can find me at kevinwillpaint.com or my Instagram handle is kevinwillpaint. 10 Frame Now has a patrons page on our website where anyone can contribute to the podcast to help us cover associated costs so we can continue to share our conversations from the artistic community with you. The website is the10frame.podbean.com. Thank you in advance. Thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. Today we get to speak with Fiorella Escalon about her work for her thesis show in the guise of craft. Mm-hmm. And... This body of work focuses on domesticity. I can't even say that word, but we'll get there. Um, It's a group of work that has collage, paintings, sculpture, fiber works, and printmaking. And thank you very much for spending time with us, Fiorella. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you and everybody who's here. Thank you for being here. Of course. So can we just first start talk about the title of the show and how that came about? So when I first came to SCAD, I, there was something that did not make sense to me. When is something craft and when is something considered art? I was seeing all these works by Tracy Emin, Grayson Perry, and they're very crafty, but they're still fine art. So mm-hmm. where is the demarcation? And uh, throughout the program, I started investigating that. And it just seemed to me that the classifications did not make sense. You know, I started looking at, well, does craft as craft because it has a purpose? But devotional paintings have a purpose. And paintings themselves, I mean, like as artists, we may think, oh, no, you know, I'm uh, cracking the nature of the universe here. But no, paintings are decorative. People Mm -hmm. buy them to put them in their houses. So I started going through all of the reasons why craft was considered craft and why art is considered art. And whenever I brought up the fact that, yes, there is craft in my work and I rely on craft processes, some the faculty would get really upset and tell me, you cannot ever mention craft along with your work because then your work is going to be classified as craft. So, you know, I thought that craft was, uh, had like this, at least in the fine arts, it has this aspect of objection, you know, like some artists like flat out reject it. And I thought, well, you know, I had this idea that craft could be anti-art. And I was, I, they, uh, people told me I was crazy. But so anti-art is art alter ego, right? So it's like a coin. On one face you have art, and on the other you have anti-art. That's what Duchamp discovered with the ready-mades. Really, you know, anti-art is the opposite, and it wants to replace its progenitor, art. So that was like the aim of Dada and... That's uh, another big word that I don't know what it means. <laughs> to describe progenitor, what was it? The dad or mom or, uh, you know, whoever made you. Gender. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Predecessor. Or Thank predecessor. You. Thank you. So I thought, okay, if an anti-art is generally 
objective and subversive, and it just wants to collapse categories. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started thinking of craft as anti-art, and in my thesis, my conclusion was that the only, that all those classifications are wrong, and they don't matter. Really what matters is the intention of the artist, and that's what Duchamp discovered with the ready-mades, that you can take an object, whatever it is, and if you designate it as art, you are giving life to that object that was previously something else, but you transform it and it becomes a work of art. So I wanted to be deliberately, you know, confrontational but cheeky with how I post those proposals and those questions. So Fiorella, we're standing at the Cedar House Gallery in yes. the front room in your thesis show um, exhibition. And we're standing in front of a piece that I know was has been uh, a recent work of yours. Can you explain what we're looking at and the process that you went through to make this? So since I don't really, I didn't have an art background before I started work at SCAD, I mean, I still marvel at how I got accepted into this program. I had taken no more than 10 classes at a community center and it was like painting abstract acrylics. So that's all I knew. So I started thinking, okay, what makes a painting a painting? It was all those like formal concerns and Clement Greenberg, blah, 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 right? So I thought, okay, no, what makes a painting a painting is the, that there's paint in it, you know? <laughs> so, yes, so if there's painting on some sort of substrate, is it a painting? And I think it is. So I love grabbing materials and things that are normally, you know, not used to make art. So this is a temporary fence. There's a lot of construction right now at school. And uh, once I saw that orange fabric kind of like flapping in the wind, and I said, it's my opportunity. We won't tell anybody you stole from the construction site next door. Yeah, uh, there's one where I grabbed these fashion billboards from around the Gagosian Gallery, so, you know. Uh, we'll have to edit that out now, too. Thank edit you. That okay. <laughs> now more work for me. So, so then this piece, there's a fibrous artist that I really admire. Her name is Sheila Hicks. And Sheila is 90 years old. She's still the queen of fibers. And back in, I think, the late 60s, early 70s, Sheila had this series of works called The Principal Wife. So I was thinking of those works when I was making this temporary fence. So I thought, okay, you know, I have the substrate, so I embroidered onto the cloth so you wouldn't see all the plastic in it. So now I have a base of yarn on it. And then I had all these magazines and designer shopping bags that my friends collect for me. And I used scrapbooking tools because everything that I do has to be based on a craft process. So I had already done embroidery. Then I used the scrapbooking tools to create these collaged uh, strips on Yupo paper. And uh, that started giving it like dimension and creating line. So then I kept embroidering on the, on the fence. I also did embroidery with the paint drips. So, you know, you have, when you get clothes, you're thinking, you know, that is kind of a weird yarn. And then you realize that it's like the paint dripping and the paint that suspends on this collage that's dimensional, it sticks out from the temporary fence. 
and the drips are falling three-dimensionally. So the piece is projected off of the wall and has some climbing rope. Uh, Sheila in that series had these ropes that were plated, so that was my reference to that. And the title is, since I'm a different kind of wife, I'm not a principal wife. As far as I know, there's no other wife. You're not the vice principal wife, are you? I guess. <laughs> uh, no, so I named it The Stepford Wife Has Fun. It reminds me of a fibers piece if you zoomed in really, really closely mm-hmm. and you could see the actual weave of the piece. Um, it almost looks like a, a reference to fiber in its elementary form, even though you're weaving in magazines and paint strips and, and climbing trash. rope and trash. Do you want to take a few questions or see if people want to mm-hmm. have questions? For so you? does anybody have any questions they'd like to, uh, to ask? Sure. Here. Well, of course, I think I'm the president of Fiorella's fan club. She's fantastic. I love everything she does. But this particular piece, Fiorella, I'm curious, from start to finish, the idea to the process to the completion, what was the time frame? The time frame on this one was, I mean, I was under pressure. I had the show. So it was about two or three weeks of 18-hour days, though. Mm. So, you know, if I... six weeks. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And I fell behind in my work schedule because I have been making, actually, the piece that Kevin is standing behind. That one is, its name is Nepenthes. It's carnivorous plants. Well, the actual name is Maneater. <laughs> so in Victorian times, you know, that's what newspapers called carnivorous plants. And uh, because I was interested in these things that don't fall into neat categories, that's why I picked, I think it's one of my more representational works, that's why I picked carnivorous plants. You know, they have functions of animals. They can digest. They can move. So, uh, and additionally, they don't photosynthesize to live. <gasps> they use the man, the, man, the arg, to live. Exactly. And they survive on really poor soil, so it's not like they're getting nutrients from the soil. And back in the day, Linnaeus refused to even deal with the carnivorous plants because they were just such, you know, weird thing. So this piece is started as fibers on organza. That's usually when I make a fibers piece, I start felting and embroidering on organza. And then it was the problem of the, of the substrate. I have a really contentious relationship with figure and ground. I don't want to even acknowledge the ground. I think that it's because you know, personal things, you know, I'm an immigrant, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. And I kept seeing that in my paintings. But additionally, it's like this formlessness. And uh, I think that that came into play here once we encased the specimen in resin. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the the ground relationship, because Mm -hmm. it looks like you've actually removed the ground. Yes, there is no ground there. The visually the, the objects are floating in space. The resin made the, I mean, it's a very strange piece. So it looks like it could be glass, but it's wet. But it has like this textural quality that you wouldn't find in glass necessarily. So, and that's just a function of the resin. Some things are encased in the resin, including some unfortunate 
mosquitoes that wandered in. <laughs> you know, they saw that uh, mosquitoes are omnivores, actually, so they're attracted to the nectar from the carnivorous plants, and that's how they fall in. These, I don't know why they got there, but they're there, so I feel like the, you know, the function of the work is, um, <laughs> you know, it was happening. They're taking part in the spirit of the piece, correct? Exactly. Deb, you have a question? What I wanted to say about this piece is that this seems like the abbreviated visual thesis that you have to write when you're writing a thesis. You write your your thesis comments, right? You write your... um, you know, your one-page thesis, and then you explain and do it with all of your artwork. This piece, which is titled... The Stepford Wife Has Fun. The Stepford Wife Has Fun seems to me, without background, foreground, it's about craft, it's about weaving, it's taking fine art paints, making a fool of them, it's dripping them. Um, I saw it in your studio and I thought, what the heck is going to come of that? And then here it comes out and it is exactly the synthesis of all your explorations in a really distilled down moment. Maybe it is not as uh, robustly uh, heartfelt as there are in some other places, but this is the distilled version of your entire thesis, is how I, I feel about this piece. Thank you. And you know, also it, this identity that was assigned to me, that of a you know, Stepford wife. So I also started thinking, okay, what, does, what materials does this, I viewed it as a character, like if I was an actor and this was a character, what materials does this person use? How does she use them? What things are important to her? So a big thing I think for you know, spoiled wives is their shopping. So that's why a lot of the paper collage is actually shopping bags and uh, designer brand advertising. That is, I thought that, okay, you know, a lot of my work is recycling materials, but this is just pure consumption. Recycling, recycling consumption, repurposing consumption, consumption. Uh, re- recontextualizing consumption, and uh, taking back your um, authenticity. Yes, certainly. I felt like this was like an entire performance piece and uh, you know I'm like the least likely person to challenge the hierarchy of art and uh, attempt to collapse it exactly so I feel like I've flown below the radar and then it's uh, you know it's all these very strange pieces great so while we're still up here does anybody else have any questions about these pieces I do while we're while we're here I do want to just touch base a little bit on this piece behind you because it's a little um, it's actually to me kind of moving back towards some of maybe your original explorations Mm -hmm. in painting. Can you just talk a little bit about how this felt to create after doing a lot of the three-dimensional objects? So I had done a study, uh, a small study for this work years ago, and I thought, okay, you know, I... I'm going to revisit it at some point. So I think it's something we've learned is, you know, like keep your notebooks and your ideas and, uh, you know, make like a little prototype, even if you can't execute it in a bigger scale at the time. 
So this is a technique called decollage. So the way that I started is grabbing fashion magazines and in the smaller pieces I would paste page after page after page after page after I had exhausted the issue. Then I would sand it down and chunks and things start coming off, so because the whole issue needs to be there. I was like a purist about that. Okay, no, 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 the whole issue needs to be there. So I just grabbed those disgusting chunks and like glued them back on, and then that started creating textures and uh, color combinations. It's very interesting how advertising relies on certain colors to induce us to uh, buy. So in the pieces that I made, blue is actually the dominant color. It's very interesting. And then there are some reds and pinks, but you definitely don't see brown, you know? It, it makes you think about what colors we are unconsciously or subconsciously, I'm sorry, responding to. This, it's un unfortunate that people can't see by looking at this how much process goes into these pieces because I've seen them at all different stages and this is almost a performance piece in my opinion because you embed string in them, you do mm -hmm. multiple layers, you kind of mush it all together and then you pull the string out and it creates these striations and tears and then you sand it down. And so it's, it's a very labor intensive process mm -hmm. and you Definitely get to is. a very textural place that's extremely complicated and interesting and perceptually different depending on where you're standing. The closer you get, the more you see little bits of type and other things in it, but when you stand back, it's, it could almost be a palette knife painting. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that it is a calming of the soundbite infectious voice that permeates all of our consciousness, and this is a stilling down and a dampening of all that. So it becomes like a beautiful hum, like a hum, where all that stuff is together. It's still there, but it's being quieted and it's being controlled. Well, not controlled, but it's being um, subdued. Subdued. Thank you. All right, great. Well, let's walk into the next room and, and talk about some of these other pieces. So, Fiorella, my, we'll just go to my favorite one okay. right off the bat, I guess. Could you talk about this piece? What's the title of it? And maybe describe what we're looking at. So I think that this was almost everyone. This was their favorite piece. So it's called Social Climber. And it is the piece, uh, the first piece that I made on that temporary fence cloth. This was garden cloth, so it has a green background. I painted it white, and uh, there's some interest there in the painting because the fence is rejecting the, the paint. I also embroidered on that substrate. Like First, I did like a, a layer of like off-white, and uh, then I started adding collage of discarded fashion billboards. It was trash I found in the street in New York and Chelsea, where all the galleries are at. So, you know, I grabbed it and put it in my bag, and uh, it's been kind of like a talisman for me. I'm thinking, okay, if I have this, you know, I'm like manifesting it out in the world. And 
so that was part of it. But really, there's a few things going on in, in this work. To what, interpret What's the it, title of it? Sorry, I didn't mean to... Uh, Social Climber. Social Climber. So one thing that I'm, I've been aware of as I've met other artists that are uh, successful... You ask them, okay, so how did you find your gallery? I mean, like, that's a question we all have. How did you find your gallery? And usually it is, oh, somebody knew something. Or, oh, so-and-so is friends with so-and-so. And it's all networking. And a social climber is a superb networker. So to succeed in the art world, that's really what it takes. So... I had to, I I thought, okay, I need a climbing rope. And uh, luckily, Kelly had some laying around in his studio that he had used to, you know, create stencils for other pieces. So uh, it was this climbing rope that had been sprayed so many times, it kind of had a life of its own. So I let it weave throughout the piece and it gives it a lot of line and movement and helps attach it also to the substrate that attaches it to the wall, which is a thick piece of wood with dowels protruding. And then, you know, I also embroidered with, you know, whenever you buy like a bag at Gucci or Louis Vuitton, they give you, they give it to you in these gift boxes tied with ribbon. So I embroidered the ribbon into that. I also tore up the shopping bags and wove those in. And then I also used the silk a lot. You know, the social climber wants to transform. They want to transform themselves. They want to be more than they actually are. And uh, feathers because, you know, they want to fly high. So that's the reason behind the materials and why I used them. Do you use the same materials in this piece here? Is that one? Uh, similar materials? Similar materials. I'm. Talk about that yes, so the one that we're looking at is a fibers blanket that is hanging on a clothesline from solar threads. That is called airing out the dirty laundry. And I was approaching it as you would approach a painting. So here it was, well, how can I make the fiber do what I wish paint would do? So I started planning out the composition with the chunkier, bigger pieces of wool. And then I started adding all sorts of different textures and types of fibers. Also a lot of silk because it uh, deals with transformation. One of my favorite things about this piece is its ability to transform into different shapes. Mm-hmm. When you first showed it a few months ago, it looked like an animal or it had this organic shape to it. And I like its flexibility that you can display it in dif- different shapes, different. It has its mm-hmm. own life. So Yes. So I wanted this to be like a Sam Gilliam. When Sam Gilliam's, you know, he's recently deceased. But when a Sam Gilliam comes to a museum, it's folded. And then the curator can display it in whatever way they want. So this blanket can take any shape. It can be displayed in any direction. And I feel that that's part of the fun. So, and here it's on the clothesline. I like how the light will travel behind it, but we can also, I've also displayed it on large screws on the wall, and then I fix those with a magnet. And then, you know, like you can gather it and uh, bunch it up and, you know, like make this rectangle basically formless. Right. 
So can we talk a little bit about this other piece? This is another favorite, one of mine. Reminded me of Ned Kahn, um, who does architectural installation stuff, but just from the oh, yeah, shapes. Oh, the flapping discs. Exactly, kinetic art pieces, but it didn't have the paint on it when I saw it, so mm -hmm. I'm, re I'm really happy that you made that shift. It kind of threads everything together. Um, so sometimes, you know, like I usually don't know how the things are going to look like at the end. It's not like I have a sketch and the, there's like complete fidelity to the sketch. So these, you know, I recall, I was calling them sequins. They are, when I, for Stepford Wife, I used a scrapbook punch to punch out all of these circles. So then I had all of those circles left and I thought, okay, what am I going to do with these? So I had you know, this stretcher laying around. And I thought, okay, it's, you know, play between what's trash and what's precious. So it was a stretcher that was donated. I think I'm like the third or fourth person to use it there in the school. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, when people finish a program, you know, they'll take the paintings off of the stretchers and they'll leave the, the stretcher bars behind because they're expensive to move. And uh, so it, it was laying around there and I thought, okay, uh, this is a trash stretcher, so I'm gonna cover it in linen. And I've never painted on linen, and people usually don't because it's so expensive. So I covered the stre that stretcher in linen, and then I applied all of these discs that were left over from the magazine, the collaged magazine pages. And my idea was to suspend them at different heights so you would have some depth to the entire piece. And that's, I think, that where you had seen it once the discs were attached. Then I knew that there was something else that was needed here. So there was an additional operation. I just didn't know what it was going to be at the time. So then I started thinking, well, what about another oft-maligned craft process? And it's the paint pour, you know? Like, so I poured paint, and then I wove in some of the paint drips, and that's where it's at. within the other pieces. Yes. So for people that are listening, can't see this, can you just give them a visual explanation of what it looks like on the wall? So it's vertical, it's a rectangle, it's oriented vertically. I think the stretcher is about 72 or 78 inches tall by like 42, approximately. And it has these cutout circles from fashion magazines and they are laid in in rows. Almost all of them are like neatly laid, so they're not, you know, they follow a pattern. And then uh, what's random is how far they project from the linen. Uh, some of them are glued directly on the linen, others are sitting on beads, and others are, you know, sitting on these rubber stoppers that come with Botox bottles. I have a friend who has an injecting business and uh, she gives all these things to me. So I used all those rubber stoppers to suspend the discs out. And the paint pour comes from the top. You have, mm -hmm. uh, I wanna know how many discs you lost in the paint pour. I, I was really worried about that. Were you that. catching them uh, downriver? Yes, and I was. Them back up? I was catching them downriver. I think I lost about three. And now I'm looking at one and I'm like, okay, I did not put that in the right position, but you know what? It is what it is at this point. And uh, uncharacteristically for me, I think that it's a neutral painting. 
there's pops of orange and you know light blues. Yeah, what I one of my professors asked me once, do you know about neutral colors? So I thought that this was, you know, yeah, I can make something. I, I kind of needed like a palette cleanser at this point. When you get out of school, you're going to need somebody to come and, and like, you know, heckle you and get you all riled up. So that seems to be where a lot of your creative juices come from. You're, you're reacting to or you're responding to questions that are posed to you or assumed questions so you know I always make things thinking okay if I don't sell this this is going to go in my house and most of my house is white so that's the reason why I don't necessarily use neutrals I like those pops of color so that's why my work has a lot of color in it but I think that this is nice I like from my own aesthetic taste I like the direction that you're going into with the neutral colors and then those pops, the, the elements mm-hmm. that are. I think Deb has a question, so if we can. Well, I always have lots of opinions and you can, but as far as your description of this, um, I think you were talking a lot about process, but not about how it feels from a viewer's perspective. Like for me, it feels like one of those uh, dappled curtains that you're supposed to walk through. And so you're walking through these uh, aspects of media, but then you also have this rain of the painting and the fine artist coming down upon them. And I think this might be one of my favorite pieces. Um, I think it is uh, so subtle, so complex, and so smart. So mostly what I'm doing is giving you input and not asking questions. But I also want to say that I would like to ask you about this idea that you're talking about, about high art, highbrow, lowbrow. Yes. And I'd like you to discuss why that is so important in your life, because I believe that there is something that, that this could be seen. Oh, I'm weaving a Gucci bag into my work. Ooh la la, I am so fancy. But that's not really what the impetus of this is. The impetus of this is born of loss in the early time of your life. And this is something, it's, it's not frivolous. It is a discussion about class, power, fine art, lowbrow art, and your beginnings. So it, it is. You know, I mean, there were a lot of things that I was thinking about when I was making this piece, too. And also, you know, like how things function in the art world increasingly. So two companies, Caring and uh, LVMH, Louis Vuitton, uh, Moe Hennessy, control a large portion of the art world. They, I think Caring owns Sotheby's, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't know whether the other one owns Christie's. I, I, I have to go back to my research, but I mean, they're important players in the art world. They collect certain artists. They're interested in keeping these artists like they keep the value in their luxury brands. So it's, I'm thinking, okay, is the art any good? Or is it propped up because you know there's another interest in it but also you know like the trash aspect when i was growing up in el salvador uh, we there was prohibition of imports and as a result of the war 
And the thinking was that if Salvadoran companies are going to be producing the goods, we're going to be buying them, the economy is going to grow, blah, blah, blah. It ended up being that what that created was a severe scarcity of goods. You couldn't find anything anywhere. So, and it didn't matter whether you were rich or poor or in between, everyone was on the same boat. So there were there was nothing in the stores and if you wanted something you had to make it and you had to transform it so you know i think that for my mom you know she was always great at transforming materials and being intellectually curious and uh, that's how this came about if there's some a, a material i don't want to throw it away i have a lot of issues with throwing things away. It creates like a great deal of anxiety for me. So this was about, you know, trying to, you know, like getting all these things that people consider trash and uh, giving them a different life. Give it a home. Just giving it a home. Giving it a home. Yeah. This is at the heart of your work and this is why I find it so powerful. And this mm-hmm. is why I'm, I'm so moved when I see it. I think that it's high, wonderful. It's highbrow, lowbrow, having nothing, having something, exploring the value visually, exploring the value visually in a realm of a fine art world, exploring it as, uh, you know, having, you know, from um, a humble home where we make things and decorate things from nothing, and then make fine art from that. It's, It's just such a beautiful poem. Thank you. Well said. So, does anyone else have any questions? I don't. I know time can be sensitive, and I want to be mm-hmm. mindful of that. But Melly, I see your artwork, and it just reminds me. It's some sort of elevation towards the craftsmanship that has been happening in our Latino countries for centuries and centuries. So, I honestly want to ask you. What is your message as a Latino when you produce this kind of work, if you have any message to any Latin women that it wants to come from whatever their humble beginnings to be part of the art world? What is the message that you want to leave them with your artwork? I think that Latin America has incredible textile artists and artists, not crafters and their work needs to be recognized. Some of the things that I see in the art world is people come to our countries and they take our techniques and then they're being shown in Paris and New York and what about the person that showed you that technique? You know, that person goes unrecognized and unrecognized and doesn't get any of the profit and I think that it's time for these artists in our countries to be recognized. They're doing incredible work and they need exposure in the art world. Well said. I was thinking we could end in the back room where back we room. where you have the chandeliers. So let's go back okay. there and talk about those. End with some uh, some fun. Oh yeah. Not that this isn't all fun. Well, one of the prints is called Trashy Fabulous. So, you know, that is Deb's iconic phrase at which, the shop. Which is, which one is Trashy Fabulous? Oh, uh, it's the first one uh, there right, next right. to the door. One of those coral prints. Yeah, and we haven't really talked about any of your printmaking. And you, you have a love for printmaking. And it creeps into your work in various ways. Do you want us... 
talk a little bit about how the printmaking affects the rest of your practice? Yeah, so the most important, uh, you know, for me, the processes that I responded to the most was monotype and etching. And mainly because uh, through those processes, you can create b big fields of color. And not only that, that technique that I use, that subtractive technique that I use in painting, it travels well to that type of printmaking. Mm -hmm. And really printmaking is the reason why I moved to Savannah. To me, working with Deb and Curtis Bartone, was, I had worked with them online and that was the reason why I came on ground to the program. I had a flood in my studio about a year ago and lost most of my printmaking work, but the survivors are here. So, yeah, it's a, it was important for me to show them. Deb's favorite, one of them got saved, right? Yes. And what's the, what's the title of that one? Uh, so I uh, dedicated one to Deb called Trashy Fabulous. <laughs> uh, so Deb says, you know, like, oh my gosh, why are you using that paper? My favorite paper is masa paper, and it's this uh, machine-made Eastern paper. You know, not one of the, like, gorgeous handmade Eastern papers. So Deb always says, oh my gosh, that is such a trashy paper. But I, I, I love that it's uh, cheap and it does what I want it to do which is that translucency in uh, a flat painting or flat print. Perfect. I have to tell you, Trashy Fabulous is what I say about a work of art that looks so lowbrow and is so brilliant. So tra <laughs> Trashy Fabulous is mine. Yes, yes. Copyrighted so, by Deb Odin. So, uh, yeah, the title of the work is Trashy Fabulous, Ode to Deb Odin because she's my mentor here. Yeah, we had another one that was Deb's favorite called Fun and Flouncy, and uh, that one is not in the show because it got sold, and that's a the good, reason why it's not a good here. good problem to have. Exactly. So let's end. We're standing underneath the chandeliers, so please explain to people who have not seen these what they are, what they look like, how they came about. So these are... As I started exploring craft processes and, you know, uh, the idea of that irresponsible character of the Stepford wife that doesn't know anything, is extravagant, you know, uses these luxurious materials in careless ways. So I thought, okay, what is... As an artist, when you buy your paint, paint is the most expensive resource. Tube of paint is, you know, if it's a good pigment, it's, it's really expensive. So I decided, okay, you know, I am going to squeeze paint straight out of a tube and to create the paint strips and see what happens. So the paint used here obviously is not high quality paint. It's acrylic paint from craft stores. Uh, the reason why those less expensive paints use a lot of binder, and the binder gives these strips of, of paint flexibility. So you can weave them, you can, I made baskets out of them. So you can make the paint behave in any way that you would like. I, since I, it was a craft process, I thought, okay, the substrate has to come from the craft store. These are wreaths that I display set up uh, horizontally, and I started weaving the strips of paint onto the wreaths. And uh, the ends, I didn't exactly tuck them in. I just let them fall. So they have like this appearance of jellyfish. Some people have said they look like jellyfish, but it's all these multicolored strings hanging down. 
and they're the colors of paint that I had in my studio the day I started squirting out the paint. As a rule uh, for myself, I cannot use different colors. It has to be those colors. So that's why they're really bright and there's not a lot of neutrals. Do they, since they're paint straight out of the tube and they're still malleable, they look like they've, um, they've grown a little bit since, since you've been hanging them up. So yes. they, they do still stretch, right? So they, yes. They're so, kind of like living organisms almost. You know, it's something that changes throughout. And I think that, you know, going to what like the purest artwork is, to me, the purest artwork is whatever's made out of paint or the purest painting is the painting made out of paint. Like the way that you can't have a print without printing, you know, it, there has to be paint in a painting. So gravity really does affect the drips and makes them fall. At the beginning, I think that they were more oomphy, kind of like when you've just uh, blow dried your hair and it's kind of like nice and full. Another <laughs> another good descriptive word, oomphy. Yes, and then you go out in the humidity and it's like... So the drips now on the uh, chandeliers, they kind of look like they're melting. And the title of the installation, it's an installation of five, and they're called Melting Drips. Great. Anybody have any questions as we wrap this up? Mm -hmm. Replaying the plane. So, Fiorella, um, a couple of things that I would like to share with you is I appreciate um, your, you, you cease to uh, explore things and your amazing work ethic and just you're somebody that I look to. So I really appreciate um, just your, your drive to find beauty um, and materials and um, something along those lines. I don't know if I'm conveying my thoughts correctly, but I really appreciate those hard work ethic, curiosity to explore materials. So. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations on your show, too. Thank you. Yeah, Fiorella, I think I speak for everyone here this your show turned out amazingly well. Um, not so trashy, but still fabulous. <laughs> and you, the hard work that you put in um, over the last several years, and and your like Kevin said, your your ceaseless exploration. Um, I know is going to continue to your um, your post scholastic career, and we really look forward to. Um, seeing where the next chapter leads. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast and for attending the opening. Yep. Thank yeah. you, everyone else, for coming in. Deb, one last, one last word. I would just like to say again the, uh, that I especially appreciate in you, Fiorella, the, the gaze that you place upon what is meant to be discarded and the exploration of what is meant to be elevated and to bring that into a different form and to weave both of those forms of uh, what is meant to be discarded and what is meant to be um, heralded as gold or whatever. You, you weave the trash, which is not trash, with the opulence, which is not really gold. You weave them together and you make something else that is an experience that questions our way of looking at the world and asks us to reconsider what we know. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you, Deb. Very well said. Thank you, everyone. Take care.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to have anybody interviewed or if you have any questions or comments, please hit us up on Instagram at the 10 frame.